0: Matthew eighteen fifteen to 20. Dealing with sin in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them.
1: Now, if you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 18 as we look at these few verses uh, this morning. Now, this morning we are continuing this series in Matthew's Gospel. We're doing this for uh, a number of years now, but we stopped kind of last spring. Uh, And we just restarted uh, last Sunday and we looked at the parable of the wandering uh, sheep. And it was a fairly gentle, I hope, uh, reintroduction to Matthew's gospel. Uh, And a thank you to those who did go home and look up their Bible to see if there was a verse 11. And you would notice if you have a King James version uh, that there is a verse 11 uh, in your Bible. uh, But later Bible versions tend to omit it. Uh, partly because of a change in, in scholarship uh, and new manuscripts that have come uh, to light. Now, when we read our Bibles, I'm sure that we all have uh, our favorite parts. Just like Donald Mackay clearly likes Psalm 23, uh, we all have our favorite parts of the, of the Bible, don't we? And we have, we have our favorite books of the Bible, those books that really do uh, speak to us. Uh, that just seem to, you know, resonate uh, with uh, the way that we are. But there are probably other places in the Bible that we find really hard going and a lot more difficult. If you're doing kind of uh, reading the Bible through the year and you've started at Genesis, you're probably just in Genesis at the moment, just going possibly into to Exodus, and then you might get to Leviticus and you might Thank goodness. This is really, really tough going. There are some parts of the Bible that are just really hard, aren't there? And sometimes it's difficult passages that we look at on a Sunday morning too. And and we can just long for for something different, can't we? There was a minister up north who preached through the whole of 1 Chronicles. If you've read 1 Chronicles, it's pretty tough going. 1 Chronicles. And he preached through the whole of 1 Chronicles with his congregation, doing all 29 chapters. And the congregation was so relieved when he finished it. That is until he stood up the next Sunday and he announced that their next series was going to be in Second Chronicles. <laughs> now, why am I saying this this morning? Well, sometimes when we're going through a difficult book of the Bible... We might say to ourselves, oh, if only I could just read a gospel, then that would be a lot easier. Just give me the life and the teaching of Jesus. And perhaps that seems fair enough. But as we move on to Matthew chapter 18, we may see that the gospels are anything but easy. In fact, over these next few weeks, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at church discipline forgiveness, and divorce. I would hardly say that these are easy topics. They're not, are they? Now, today we're going to look at the first of these topics in Matthew 18, where Jesus speaks about sin in the church and how to deal with it. And in many ways, what Jesus is speaking about here is church discipline. Now, I guess that not many of us here we'll have heard too many sermons on church discipline. We will have heard sermons on God's love. We will have heard sermons on God's forgiveness. We will have heard sermons about the cross. We will have heard sermons on the Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount. Church discipline? Maybe not so much. Indeed, when you think of church discipline, you probably think of words a bit like excommunication. Or how it used to be with, with communion tokens. Remember, we had lots of communion tokens in the church. We, we kind of sold them during the, uh, the period of the refurbishment. And do you remember what happened with communion tokens? Because what happened, why communion tokens were used, is that you were only given a, a communion token if the elders deemed you worthy to take communion at that time within the church. And so the kind of impression is that you had to come before these stern elders. I wasn't around at this time, so I don't really know how it worked. And you had to be deemed to be living a circumspect life before you received a communion token. And so when we think of church discipline, sometimes we think of these these things, excommunication. You know, communion tokens, stern elders pointing the finger. Perhaps you think it's all rather draconian. But if you think about the context of this passage this morning, church discipline is actually something that is really, really important. And it's actually something that I think that we should think about a wee bit more, and we should definitely exercise a wee bit more. You see, in the parable of the wandering sheep, what did we see? We saw the shepherd searching for the wandering sheep. And it's a picture of, of the shepherd desperately trying to find this, this wandering sheep to try and bring the sheep back into the fold. Isn't that right? The, the shepherd wasn't going out to, to go and, and point the finger at this sheep and say, why are you wandering off? It wasn't to go and punish the sheep, was it? It was to bring the sheep back into the fold. And church discipline... It's all about forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness and restoration. And it links in with what we'll look at next week in terms of forgiveness. How many times should I forgive my brother? Peter asks. Church discipline must be seen in the light of forgiveness and restoration. You see, the fact is that sometimes when we look at this passage today, we may think to ourselves, well... It's none of our business whether someone is straying or going down the wrong path or falling into sin and we just shouldn't interfere. That's none of my business. We shouldn't judge. That's sometimes our our view, isn't it? But the fact is that church discipline is all about seeking good for the person who is straying just as the same as any discipline is. We discipline our children, don't we? Not because we want to harm them, I hope, but for their good. We discipline them for their good. And it should be the same in the church, shouldn't it? So with that lengthy introduction, let's look at what Jesus says here. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault Just between the two of you. Now, of course this is to be done with all humility. This is not a license simply to to pick up on everyone else's faults without having a look inside first. You see, there's no point in pointing out a speck in someone else's eye if there's a plank in our own eye. Is that not the, the, the image that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount? Now, sometimes we might use that as an excuse because we might say, well, you know, I am certainly not perfect. I have got a massive plank in my eye, so I can't really do anything about the speck in that other person's eye. But if you think about what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount using that imagery, what does he say? He doesn't say when you've got a plank in your own eye, don't do anything about that speck in the other person's eye, does he? He says, take the plank out of your own eye and then help with the speck in the other person's eye. So you're called to do something. And actually to do nothing would be unloving. It would be unloving. So if we're concerned about someone who we see straying in their life, straying, from the faith then the first step is to gently confront them just the two of you and hopefully it can be sorted out now you have to do that with with all humility but it is i hope you recognize it's for their good you want them to be following christ with all their heart Now, what happens if you confront someone about a sin in their life and and they won't listen? Well, Jesus gives us a process, doesn't he? He says if they will not listen, the next step is to take one or two others with you. Now, this fits with what it says elsewhere in the Bible in Deuteronomy 19 about a matter being established by by two or three witnesses. So that when you go back to the person, you're not just saying, look, it's it's not just me picking on you. It's not just me saying you're going in the wrong direction. Look, my brothers and sisters here, they also want to come and help you to restore you back to the fellowship. And so, if you go to point out someone's sin and they don't listen, you take two or three witnesses and then see if if that person responds. And then there's a third stage. If that still doesn't work and the person is still in their sin, then you bring it to a larger gathering to the church to see if the person will then turn from their sin. But it's all about restoration. So there is this three-stage process. Confront them alone, keep it private, personal. Then bring two or three witnesses. Then bring it to the attention of the church. Three-stage process. But the aim always must be forgiveness and restoration. That must always be the focus. That someone is brought back to the Lord. Now, what happens if this fails? What happens if the person says, I'm I'm not going to change. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. If the person refuses to listen, then there are consequences. And we see this in the passage this morning. And the consequences here are that this person should be treated as a pagan or a tax collector. A pagan or a tax collector. Now, you might think to yourself well that is, now I hope no one works for HMRC this morning. Okay. You might think when you're reading that this is really harsh. This is Jesus being really really harsh. And that is no way to treat anyone. Basically you're saying, you know, cast them out, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Think again. Think carefully. Because what Jesus is saying, really, is that you're no longer to regard them as a brother and sister in Christ. Because they are professing to be a Christian. That's what he's saying. If they're in the church, they're professing to be a Christian. But if, if they've fallen away in sin, then they're not acting the way that a Christian should. You've tried to restore them, and now they're not responding. Therefore, they're now out with the fellowship. So what Jesus is saying is that if they fail to respond to to loving restoration, then you're to treat them as they were at the beginning. And saying to to treat them as a a pagan or a tax collector was a common phrase at that time, meaning to to treat them as an unbeliever. That's how we're to treat them. Now, two things on this, before we think, you know, Jesus has been really harsh. Firstly, who's writing this gospel? Who is it? Matthew. Who's Matthew? Matthew's other name was Levi. What was Matthew's profession? He was a tax collector. That's really interesting, isn't it? He was a tax collector before he followed Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here is treat them as though they're they're right back at the beginning. And you can imagine, you know, Matthew writing this and he's being treated as he was when he was a tax collector. Now, the second thing here is that the message version of the Bible has an interesting translation of this verse that I think is very helpful. It's rendered this way. This is what it says. If you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, And offer again God's forgiving love. That's what that verse is all about. And it links in with the parable of the wandering sheep, doesn't it? Because where is the wandering sheep? The wandering sheep is not in the sheepfold. They're out with the sheepfold. What is God doing? He's seeking after them. He wants them to respond to his love, his grace. And that's what's happening here, isn't it? Someone has become outside the sheepfold and we long for them to come back in so what do we have to do therefore well if they're an unbeliever what do we confront them with we confront them with god's love and the cross and what forgiveness is all about that they might repent and believe that's what we're doing and so you see the emphasis here even where it seems a a little harsh, as if they're being thrown out the fellowship, it's all about forgiveness and restoration, which, of course, fits in well with what we'll see next week, God willing, in terms of forgiveness and the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, after going through this, this process, three stages, four stages, if you like, Jesus says that whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven Whatever is loosed in earth will be loosed in heaven. I.e., the church on earth brings the authority of heaven to bear here on earth. The church has the authority to do this. And then Jesus then goes on to reiterate that where two or three agree about anything, then God will be with them. Now, just as an aside here, we often hear people in their prayers, don't we? And I can be guilty of this as well. And we often say in our prayers, you know, especially in a small prayer meeting, wherever two or three are gathered, God is there in our, in our midst. But look at the context of this passage where it talks about two or three. It's not in terms of prayer, is it? It's in terms of testimony. It's in terms of witness where two or three agree about anything before God. God will be in the midst. Now, what are we to make of all this today? How is this relevant today? And, and what is Jesus truly saying to us as a church fellowship here in West Co-Bright? Well, there's a clear place, isn't there, for discipline in the church. It cannot be just a free-for-all where anything goes. But rather than this being about power or control, or or heavy shepherding, if you want to put it in those terms. It's all about restoration and forgiveness. And this is actually why it's really important to be a member of the church. Because when you're a member of the church, there is accountability, isn't there? There are vows that have been made, and, and we're saying that we belong to the body of Christ. And not just here in West Kilbride, but the worldwide body of the church. And in membership, we're, we're professing our faith publicly. And it brings accountability. And that's a good thing, isn't it? And it isn't about Big Brother watching over you, it's Christians together in, in loving relationship, looking out for one another. You see, if you're a believer here today and you've fallen into sin, you want to be restored, don't you? You want to be brought back into a relationship with God. As an extreme example, if one of you found out that I have murdered someone and I've put the body in the basement in the manse. Now, I haven't done that, incidentally. Okay, You can come and check the basement in the manse, that's fine. If you find that out, and I was keeping it quiet, then I hope that you wouldn't just brush that under the carpet and do nothing. You would just think, "Oh, nothing to do with me. No, I'm not getting involved in that. I hope that you would have the boldness to confront me, that is wrong. That is not what you should be doing. You can't just go and kill people and stick them in your basement. You see, the temptation, that's an extreme example, I get that. But the temptation in the church often is to do nothing. To do nothing in terms of church discipline. But we have an example in the New Testament of the Corinthian church. Of what happens when sin is not dealt with in the church. Remember what happened there in Corinthians, in the the church in Corinth? There was serious immorality going on. Ridiculous things. If you want to be shocked, go and read 1 Corinthians. And Paul despairs that no one is doing anything about it, but it's just allowed to continue. There seems to be no end. And Paul despairs. Why does he despair? Because sin ends up invading everything so that the church no longer looks any different from the world. And the church isn't glorified. And God isn't glorified. So let's heed Jesus' words. And let's call out sin. When it needs to be called out. Let's do it in love. And all humility. And to God's glory. It isn't about retribution. is isn't about punishment. It's all about restoration and rehabilitation. Let's do it in line with the process that Jesus gives to us. You see, as Christians, we are called, aren't we, to be salt and light in the world? We're called to be different to the world. Let's be the different people that we are called to be. And so let's love one another and so love one another that we're unafraid to exercise discipline in the church I would actually say to you this morning that if proper church discipline is being exercised in the church that truly shows that we love one another you see when you love one another you can have those difficult conversations can't you when you don't love one another it's nothing to do with me it's all about love you see we discipline our children don't we Why do we do that? Because we love them. Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us. Why is the church to exercise church discipline? Because of love. You see, we don't discipline our children because we're bad and grumpy and tired parents. It's because we want the best for our children. And God wants the best for us. And we ought to want the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I say to you this morning, and this is a difficult message for all of us, and I'm not certainly not saying this morning, right, go out, see that person that's annoyed you for 10 years, give him a finger. No, certainly not saying that. But if there is sin in the church, let us be unafraid to deal with it. Let's exercise discipline, as Jesus has called us to do. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a challenging message for us this morning. But we thank you so much uh, that Jesus gives us a process to work through. And it's a process to work through because... We recognize that when sin comes into the church, that it destroys everything, that it begins to spread like yeast through the dough, and it needs to be dealt with. And father, perhaps in our own day and in our own society, in our own culture, perhaps our temptation is to sit back and do nothing to believe that it would be judging others to do anything. But Lord God, we pray that we might see this morning that doing nothing is actually an unloving thing to do. Because if we do nothing, then what happens? People end up going further and further away from you. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the boldness to exercise church discipline, But this would be done in a wise way, in a loving way, in a compassionate way. And it would be done very humbly. Father, as we come to you, we recognize that we're all sinners. All sinners who need your grace, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And Father, we want to repent of our sin this day. You know us each one. You know our failings. You know those times when we have let you down. You know those times when we have said things, thought things, done things, which are not to your glory. And we come before you in repentance and faith. Father, speak to us. Through this passage today we pray. And as you are a God of love who seeks after the wandering sheep, So, Lord God, we pray that we would be a church of love who would seek the good of our members and it would be to your glory and your praise. So, Father, speak to us through your word. we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen.